to Friends for the Journey, a podcast that explores the intersection of hope and healing in the face of unexpected transitions in our lives. We're dedicated to recognizing the many different ways to ask for and receive help, that hope can be a rebelliously loving act, healing is possible when we least expect it, and entertaining renewal through connection and curiosity. I'm your host, Catherine Gabriel-Jones. I am so excited to be able to sit down with Roberta Damon, author of Dear Mrs. Noah, Dear Abishag, A Voice Beyond, Weeping, and Theirs is the Kingdom, four books which I have discovered and have truly loved. Roberta, you are all of this and so much more. I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Catherine. So, Roberta, you have been involved in Ministering to Ministers that produces this Friends for the Journey podcast for a while. I'm wondering if you could share with me your experience of being with Ministering to Ministers. Oh, I'll do that happily. Um, Charles Chandler was the man who began ministering to ministers out of his own personal journey uh, of being in, uh, involved in a forced termination as a pastor in a large church in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, and so when Charles called me years and years ago, he said, we're going to put this together. And what I'm looking for uh, right now is somebody who can serve at least part of the time as a clinician, because one of the things that ministering to ministers has always done uh, has been to have wellness retreats. And for clergy who have been suffering horrific um, persecution, that's a Mm -hmm. pretty strong word, but I think it's probably not strong enough for some people. Um, they, um, they're going through the, the dark part of the valley, and uh, we want to call them in, uh, gather them together with their spouses, uh, give them uh, absolutely at no cost to them except they have to travel to wherever the thing is held. Mm-hmm. Um, just bring them in and uh, encourage them and uh, uh, hear their stories, and, and uh, let's see what we can do to help them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, at the time, I was just beginning my ministry as a marriage and family counselor on staff at First Baptist Church in Richmond. And I told him, I said, Charles, you know, I'm, I'm working full time, uh, have a family and one thing and then another, but uh, this, this interests me greatly. Mm-hmm. So I signed on and I was a member of the board uh, until my retirement. I, I think it was about my third retirement. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you might understand something like that. You know, you, we, we tend to retire and then change our minds and so exactly. forth and have an opportunity. <laughs> yes, and so forth. Exactly. But anyway, uh, I, I have, I have, I'm 85 years old, Catherine, and it's past time that I, you know, lay some of my burdens down. And so uh, I have not been working for MTM for a while, with MTM for a while, but, um, but I did for many years, about 20, as a matter of fact. And um, I just saw so much pain and so much hurt, and I saw so much resilience. I was just privileged to do what I did for uh, for MTM and. And they, in turn, did a lot for me, I will say that. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Does that that give you some sort of a little background? That really does. And 
There is a question that rises in my mind, a little bit like the down of a dandelion that's just lifted up in the wind. (laughs) And my question is, ministering to ministers holds this certain place of providing care for those who have been wounded in their call. And in full disclosure, I have been all over the theological map in my life, and so many of our listeners really span the waterfront. Mm. And through the trajectory of our world and how it has changed, certainly in the last 10 years with media and the 24-hour news cycle, there can be a, a stereotype or assumption about church and ministry and ministers. Hmm. And one of the aspects that I cherish so much about the work that ministering to ministers does is the recognition that pain has no denomination. Oh, absolutely. There is no ice cube trays of pain. We might create this ice cube tray of different faiths that are divided by different walls, but pain is the water that overcasts everything. You are absolutely right, Catherine. And by the way, MTM has, you know, Charles Chandler happened to be a Baptist pastor, but uh, we have reached out to, I don't know how many denominations, uh, but various and sundry. And inevitably, at the wellness retreats, there would be a cross-section mm-hmm. of, of denominations, which I always loved, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I hated that everybody had been wounded, but <laughs> but it, it's sort of, no, you know, none of us is impervious to this. None mm-hmm. of us is. Uh, we, we don't get home scot-free just because we think God called us into ministry and he's going to protect us. Oh, that is so true. Yeah, so patience and fortitude. <laughs> well, and that really calls out that question. We, we could even call it a myth that when we step into a call, whether that call is in ministry or in healthcare or in some service for our fellow human beings, that call in some way lifts us above the suffering and pain that occurs in human interaction. Yes, unfortunately, we have this, you know, some of us had our heads in the, well, actually, you know, if God calls you when you're a very young person, um, you do step into that with this uh, certitude that Mm -hmm. God is going to just smooth your path and all will be well. And of course, that's just hogwash. Yeah. Yeah. That's a word I picked up in seminary. Really? Oh, no. (laughs) I'm I'm teasing you. (laughs) I just love the idea, given that my husband went through seminary twice. I I was curious which language it was originally translated from. (laughs) I tell you what, I think it it would be good for every seminary student going in to understand that hogwash is a very good word to have in your vocabulary. It's a spectacular good word. I think it was probably used back in Jesus his time and oh, probably sure. <laughs> long before. I'm sure Moses used it often. <laughs> well, I don't know. We're talking about pigs and hogs here, you know. And if... Well, even the unclean must be washed. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. So within this context of pain and resilience and ministering to ministers, which it was really born out of Charles's pain mm. and the recognition that he was not the only person who suffered this wounding. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because 
anybody who has been through a forced termination will tell you that very likely there will be what we call the gang of three. Mm. Uh, they're they're not elected by anybody. They're not appointed by anybody. They are self-appointed, but it is up to them to tell the pastor or the other clergy, whoever that might be, that it's time for them to move on, mm. that the church has not grown as it should have under their uh, care, yep. and uh, the, you know, uh, funds are down, uh, membership is not uh, robust, and mm-hmm. so it's all your fault, and you've got to get out of here. Yeah. And we have had the most gosh awful stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hear them from one, one of the pastors said that he had his family in the car, and he got a call, and they said, um, "We, you cannot get back into the parsonage. Wow. We've locked you out." <gasps> And uh, he called Charles, and Charles told him to call our lawyer. Mm-hmm. And uh, the lawyer said, do you have a tire iron in your car? <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, break in. Wow. Break in. I'll be most happy to defend you if you wow. get arrested. So, I mean, it, we're talking ugly. Yeah. We're talking ugly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yes, resilience is, is needed. But I tell you, there's a, there's a little... Um, Thing that I used to do during wellness retreats, and I, I recall upon several occasions just asking everybody to sit quietly while I work with one person. And I remember a man who's just shattered, you know. Mm. I said, um, I want you to stand on the side of the road, and I want you to I want you to picture Jesus coming down the road toward you mm-hmm. with that heavy well, crossbar on his back. He had been uh, beaten, and he, the crown of thorns had been put on his head, and so forth and so forth. And and just as Jesus comes to just stand in front of you, he falls under the heavy load. And your first tendency is to want to go and rush and, and help him up, but don't do that. What I want you to do is take all of your pain and your sorrow and your agony and your anger and your whatever else you're carrying along, put it in a bundle, walk out there and put that heavy burden on his back and stand back and watch him struggle under the weight of it and watch him walk away. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And you've got to remember that he's God and you're not. Mm-hmm. And you can't carry this anymore. Yeah. Oh, it's just. It's just amazing. Just amazing. Mm. Yeah. The value and the honor in acknowledging that we can allow this weight of sorrow and grief that we bear to be shared by our faith. That's right. That doesn't mean that the pain and the sorrow and the agony and the anger and the rage goes away. That's right. It's not a magic pill, but it's an acknowledgement that we are not alone. That's right. And that we are not meant to be alone. And that it's this faith that binds us through this recognition that we're not alone. Oh, Catherine, you know, um, have you ever heard somebody say, if you haven't forgotten it, you haven't forgiven? Mm, Have you ever heard that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Quite often, in fact. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
Listen, uh, Lewis Smedes wrote a book years ago. I, it's called Forgive and Forget, mm-hmm. Healing the Hurts You Don't Deserve. Mm. And in it, he says this. I love this. In it, he says this. First of all, he says we are hardwired to remember. Mm. And so forgiveness really doesn't have anything to do with forgetting. Ooh. Forgiveness is a conscious decision that you make. It's mm-hmm. an intellectual decision. You do it. But that business of, oh, you know, if you haven't forgiven, you have, it's just, it's, he said, it's just not true. He said, you know, when the, the Lord's Prayer says, forgive our, tra- as we forgive those who trespass against us, mm-hmm. people have taken that to mean, if you don't forgive people who've trespassed against you, then God won't forgive you. Yeah. And Smead said, I just love this, he said, if God's forgiveness is dependent on my ability to forgive anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that good theology? That is such good theology. Wow. Yeah. Boy, I would like very much in that point to your book, A Voice Beyond Weeping, that includes this recognition that where we are in our lives does come from this path that has been walked, not only by ourselves, but all whom were involved in our life and in the recognition of how these footsteps were laid, how these people walked in this path. It's, It's this recognition that we are a part of this history and we may be informed by this history, Yes, but we have the opportunity to be empowered by the knowledge of the history while still recognizing we are not defined by it. Oh, isn't that good? Yes, absolutely. Yes. yes. Hmm. And it's one of the things that I admire so much of the work that ministering to ministers does in the recognition that wounds occur in life. Hmm. When we walk through the woods, we may get scratched by the branches. Mm-hmm. That may not mean that the trees themselves are malicious even though it may feel that way. Yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, I don't know that anybody, I always say, anybody over the age of 13 has been wounded. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's, that's so true. <laughs> no, nobody can protect us from it forever. Yeah. It, it yeah. just comes with life. Yeah. I have an odd question for you, Roberta. Oh, well, uh, all right. I probably have an odd answer. Let's see. (laughs) Well, that's one of the reasons I love you so much. (laughs) Within this context of kind of weighty subjects here with Mm. resilience and wounding and the arc of history that we are in and forgiveness, there is this shimmering presence of synchronicity that sometimes occurs when we don't expect it. And it can provide this kind of gift of a potential balm when we least expect it. Hmm. You had shared a story with me once about a song that you had heard at a time when all of the world seemed to be filled with rain and thunder and lightning. (laughs) I think you're talking about Rascal Flatts. Uh, Yeah. I thought about it for days afterwards and how how synchronicity happens in ways that we don't expect. That's right. Would you be willing to share that story? Oh, I, I love that story. Uh, it, I was at a wellness retreat, as a matter of fact, and the retreat center was not all that far from my home. So 
So I told Charles, I said, after this session tonight, I really, really would like to go home and sleep in my own bed. I'll be back early, early in the morning. And he said, oh, sure, that'd be fine. So it must have been, oh, good grief, I don't know, 1030 or 11 at night by the time we got out of it. It was a particularly uh, brutal session. Somebody was just shredded and and uh, everybody was uh, feeling the the pain of that person. And so anyway, when I finally, uh, we called, called it quits and went to bed, <laughs> I, I got in the car and uh, by myself, it, of course it was again, very late at night for me at least. And um, going down a two lane highway, I turned on my radio. There wasn't anything on NPR. So I turned over to a country Western station and sure enough, there was rascal flats. I had never heard this song before, uh, but it's called I Won't Let Go. And as I listened to the words, I thought, dear God in heaven, this is not some cowboy singing to his girlfriend. This is God speaking. And wow. I'll, I'll just I'll just share the words to it, at least yeah. part of them. It's oh, like yes. a storm that cuts a path. It breaks your will. It feels like that. You think you're lost. But you're not lost on your own. You're not alone. I will stand by you. I will help you through. When you've done all you can do and you can't cope, I will dry your eyes. I will fight your fight. I will hold you tight. And I won't let go. Wow. I thought, thank you, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. And thank you, Rascal Flats, of all people. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It is. Here's another odd question for you. That beautiful synchronicity that comes out of that storm. Clearly, I'm somebody who really loves metaphors. And (laughs) I make my way hobbling and slouching down the road by using metaphors. I can make sense of this crazy life I find myself in. Catherine, you're a a poet, my dear. You are. So let's. (laughs) Do you, by the way, do you write poetry? Uh, a little. It's a good thing to do, you know. It is. And it's an excellent form of self-care to write something and just let it be and recognize that it is beauty in and of itself. Mm, that's right. But my question is about the prism of faith that we experience in the world. As I said, I've wandered many different theological paths. <laughs> and... I remember when you told me that story about the Rascal Flat song, I Won't Let Go, I was reminded of my spiritual mentor who really mothered me in a deeply profound way when I taught at a synagogue preschool of all places. And I was there mm-hmm. at the time when the commune I was living in was falling apart. And she had said, do you think that Christians are the only ones who are hypocritical? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you know, because you're in this commune and you've discovered that people in communes are hypocritical. Mm. And here, come on over here. Let me show you something. And she took me over to the window. and She said, you see that child over there? They're first cousins with this other child over there. They don't know it because their parents don't speak. It's the thumbs that are the problem. All we are is we are just messy people trying to find our way through life. And that is where we need faith. Yes. 
Oh, my. And oh, my. What an odd experience to entertain the possibility that the soulful wounds that are experienced in our lives are in some way shared by other people, regardless of what their faith tradition is. Oh, yes. I, I think that that's a given. Absolutely. Yeah. We are. We live in the sea of shared humanity, don't we? Oh, we certainly do. Mm -mm. This year is the 25th anniversary of Ministering to Ministers. Yes. What a celebration of so much good work that has been done. Mm -hmm. I have personal experience of a wellness retreat and find myself in my heart and in my prayers and also by email reaching out to the compatriots and within my cohort because of the recognition of the similarity that pain is really like rain. Everybody gets wet. And comparing <laughs> raindrops is really a fool's mm -hmm. errand. Mm -hmm. You've got that right. <laughs> Man. <laughs> in this world right now, everything has been turned upside down with the pandemic and unrest across the globe. Hope and resilience are two things that seem to be almost the last little bit of light right around a candle that's burning low in its wick. How do we even entertain the possibility of hope and resilience in a world so radically changed? Oh, Catherine, you know, I think the world has always been dealing with something or other, haven't we? I mean, <laughs> we, we tend to think, oh, this is the absolute worst, or this has never happened before. Yeah, it has, mm -hmm. or, or something very similar to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, think, yeah. I think you can't get through a day without hope. I think, oh. I, I think you just this too shall pass. And, and I don't mean to be cavalier mm -hmm. about it or make it sound like, oh, well, this is nothing because it's really, it's really been something, hasn't it? With, mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. these people just dying. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but do we despair? Uh, mm -hmm. I think what, what is the alternative to hope? I guess it is despair. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to sit down and in the corner and give up. I, we're not going to mm -hmm. do that. Um, yeah. You, you know, you think about you think about the roughest things that you have personally been through. Maybe nobody else was even affected by this particular thing, but but the, mm -hmm. the the most difficult things that you have ever been through personally, or I have ever been through personally, uh, somehow you you say, uh, I don't know how I got through that except by God's grace, and uh, mm. here I am. So what is it? Yeah. Um, uh, point me toward tomorrow. Uh, mm. You know, I, I told you I'm 85 years old. Uh, yeah. Listen, my dear. Yes. One of the things that I have been doing through this pandemic is memorizing poetry. Mm. And I don't know whether you know the 73rd Shakespearean sonnet. It ends like this. Let me do the, the very first. That time of year thou mayest in me behold. When yellow leaves or none or few, do hang upon the boughs that shake against the cold, bare ruined choirs where late the sweet birds sang. And then at the end of it, it says, you perceive well what I'm telling you, because you are to love that well which thou must leave ere long. Wow. 
And when I think about being 85, I'm thinking, well, I'm clipping the last coupons in the book here. And what what's on the other side? What is it? I'm I'm curious. Uh, you know, I mean, I can wait. Yeah. I can wait to get there. All right, but but <laughs> but not in any great hurry. But I live in such hope and such faith. You read my book, A Voice Beyond Weeping, oh. and you will recall that my husband and I served as Southern Baptist missionaries in Brazil for 20 years. And um, while we were there, one of my three mothers, you, people are just going to have to read the book to figure that one out because, you know. They will be able to easily access it in the show notes. Well, <laughs> Boy, A Voice Beyond Weeping is a beautiful book to read. Well, and thank you for that. But anyway, I recall we were home on furlough. I was telling my mother goodbye. She was very ill. I knew that I probably would not see her again on this earth. Mm. That was in June. In November, Dad called and said, to, you're going to have to come home. And I said, I, I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't get home. I can't, you can't get out of this country for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. because it, you have to have police clearance and one thing and then another. My husband took the phone from me and said, Don, I'll have her there tomorrow. And I thought wow. he had lost his mind. <laughs> but he, he said, send me a telegram and I'll get her out of here. Well, I'm not going to go into all the de- great details, but he had me on a plane that night. I, I flew standby 24 hours from Curitiba, Paraná, to Rio, mm-hmm. to Miami, to Knoxville. Went to my mother's home. Was, she knew she was dying, but she wanted to die at home. Mm-hmm. Went into her bedroom, and she said, well, hi, honey. What are you doing here? I just thought I'd come see you, you know. <laughs> Merciful heaven. And uh, I said, has anybody read scripture to you? And she said, no. I said, what do you want to hear? She said, John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions and so forth. And uh, Mm -hmm. the next day, we gathered around her bed, and uh, she was smiling. And I said, what do you you see? Mm -hmm. She said, I see heaven. And I said, is it beautiful? And she said, beauty beyond beauty. Oh, wow. And I said, can you see Jesus? And she said, yes, and he's smiling at me. And she started saying, Mm -hmm. blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. And what a way to go. Yeah. What a way to go. And so that is my ultimate hope. Mm. That's what I base my belief on. Yeah. But beyond that, just to know that I don't think we really want to have the option of despair. Mm -hmm. Who wants to live with despair? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, maybe it sounds Pollyannish. I don't know mm-hmm. to say, oh, I, I know there's a, there's a home for me across the Jordan and all that. Well, what's the alternative? Yeah, you know, I don't want to go it alone, and that's one of the one of the things I know to be true. You don't have to cross Jordan alone. Mm-hmm. So when it comes down to life and death, or life and eternal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you step across, but you, you're not alone. It's what you said earlier in this conversation. We don't have to do this alone. Yeah, yeah. Not only do we have the Lord, but we have, oh, how many Christian friends do you have? How many family members who love you and would do anything for you? My goodness, aren't yeah. we blessed? Yeah, I love that inclusion, that almost a level of pragmatism of, well, yeah, I could despair, but mm-hmm. what will tomorrow be like if I despair? Yeah. And the day after? Yeah. 
and the day after. I don't want to sit in a cor- in a dark corner and suck my thumb. I mean, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. If that's the only comfort I have. Yeah. It worked when I was six months old, I think. But other than that, you yeah. know, <laughs> yes. so let's well, get beyond that. Well, and I hear also in our conversation and in what you were saying, a certain intentionality and a certain recognition that there is work that is involved in making that choice yes. between despair and hope. And again, having hope or entertaining the rebellious possibility of hope or the radical possibility of hope <laughs> does not mean that we don't suffer. It doesn't mean that our pain ends, and it doesn't mean that the betrayal or the anger or the frustration or the sorrow disappears. That's right. You're on a roll. <laughs> well, it, it reminds me of the idea of life is like a silk scarf laid across a thorn bush, mm. and there are woundings that occur as that silk scarf is lifted off of the thorn bush. Tears occur. Tears occur. Mm -hmm. But there is the work that is inherent in the recognition of this is my nugget of pain. This is the wound that occurred. There is intentionality in processing that wound, identifying where we are in it, seeing that arc of history, and with all of that, moving on. Mm, that's so good. That's the little lifting of that mm-hmm. silk scarf. So that wow. my hope is at the end of my life, I will have that last piece of the silk scarf that I lift off of that thorn bush. And it's the intentionality of that hope that I can do the work that I'm called to do so that the dysfunction of my past is not passed on to the people in my life. Mm, wow. That's good, Catherine. That's really good. I, I'm, I'm going to think about that silk scarf and that, those thorns a lot. It will lodge in my brain. Well, <laughs> you used the word radical back a few yeah. sentences ago. I was reminded that uh, we were in a staff meeting one time, and we were divided up into little groups. And uh, the the leader of the group said, I I want you all to come up with an acrostic on the word grace. Mm. And uh, I said, the R has to be radical. (laughs) And I I loved it. And and as we, we worked with it, we came up with this, an acrostic on grace. God's radical acceptance covers everyone. Isn't that good? Nice. That is good. Uh That's really good. God's radical acceptance. Oh, your inclusion of the acrostic brings to mind uh, dear Mrs. Noah and dear Abishag (laughs) and the acrostics, which are so delightful. The inclusion of each of us are made up of phrases that we would be surprised We are often surprised at the grace that is inherent within each one of us. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. I had such fun writing those two books. Oh, I bet. Those those were the fun ones to write. (laughs) A Voice Beyond Weeping, uh, I wrote it at 5 o'clock in the morning. I was still working full-time when I I did the first edition of that. 
And uh, I sent my husband off to the guest room to sleep because I would get up and work on the computer, which was in our bedroom. <laughs> he would uh, come in at seven, and I would either be laughing or crying as I wrote that. And I call that book My Heart. Oh. Um, the other one, There's Just the Kingdom, mm-hmm. is the story of the early church in Rome. I've, I, I call that one my brain because it took me so long to research it. But... Um, by the way, just listening to you talk, I think you if you haven't already, you need to write your own story. <laughs> I mean, come on, a, a preschool, a, a, a commune, a, <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> well, our kiddo our, has encouraged me to do so. And uh... Catherine, everybody everybody has a story, and, and this one, I think yours needs to be written. <laughs> Well, thank you. I'm, I will. Yeah, I, I take that under consideration. <laughs> I will. And that, that means a lot coming from you. I, I feel truly grateful to have met you along the road. <laughs> so I have one other question that has been jumping up and down in the back of my head with pom-poms, eager to be heard. Uh-huh. When you reflect on belief, how do you see the difference between spirituality, faith, and religion? I love that question. That's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that faith, as the Apostle Paul pointed out, is a spiritual gift. Mm. And I think it is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I think religion, by the way, uh, of course, you know, we spent 20 years in Brazil, so we speak Portuguese. And the word, um, uh, it's religion, but it comes from the Latin, and it means to connect again. Wow. And I think that religion, uh, as we practice it, it's, it's what we practice. But I think what we do when we practice our religion, whether it's in corporate worship or private worship or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, I think we are reconnecting to God. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. And I think spirituality is just my soul. You know, I think there are spiritual people who've never entered a church or a synagogue or a whatever, a mosque. Uh, But I think that there are some people who are just absolutely sensitized to mystery Mm. and those things that can't easily be explained, but they're very tuned in to them. Uh, I have a friend right now. uh, She's not a Christian. She... um, practices mindfulness. Oh, yes. Uh, it's, it's kind of a popular thing, I think, right now. Mm-hmm. And just to be aware of what's underneath, what's around the corner, what might, you know, what might be influencing a person to think a certain way mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever. And um, I'm, I'm very much impressed with that. Uh, it's, you know, I think we, we speak our language of Zion within the four walls of the church, mm-hmm. and that's all right. But I think when we get out, I think, you know, that business about you're the salt of the earth. Well, let's get out of that salt shaker. <laughs> get, <laughs> get out. And, you know, we, we are so prone to speak our language in, in this, this religious uh, language we speak is so easily understood by others like us. Yeah. But the vast majority of people in this world do not yeah. speak it. And uh, I think we need to be mindful of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we don't have to give up any of our beliefs in order to listen to some other person's view. I mean, I, I just, 
what is, what is it about us? <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I think Eloise was right. You know, it's the thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the only problem with humanity is the people. Sometimes it, it's the best thing, but sometimes... Yes, sometimes not. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, I don't know whether that answers your question, but... Oh, it does. It's beautifully, because part of what has really fascinated me, certainly before my personal experience with a wellness retreat at Ministering to Ministers, but also after, is how we as people of faith, regardless of our tradition, while I was in the synagogue and while I was at the Taoist retreat and while I was in the Catholic church and while I was a minister's wife in a congregational church, how often when we have these wounds that occur, how we engage in our faith once again. Yes. And tension is an important part of our movement through the world. Our bodies need tension in order to stay upright and move and in order to exhale and inhale. And it's also, I think, an aspect of our faith that we can easily overlook. Mm, yes. Which is something you include so beautifully in your books, that there is salt in the salt shaker, but you know what? Our life cannot be savory if the salt is only in a bottle. That's right. Absolutely. Which, <laughs> you're, you're sitting here talking to me right now about a salt shaker, and all I can think of is in Dear Mrs. Noah, uh, Lot's wife, the uh, the uh, uh, illustration that my granddaughter did was this little lady trying to get out of a salt shaker. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's all I can think of. It's so wonderful. <laughs> so, so your your granddaughter made the illustrations. Yes, oh. and, and when she she was probably twenty years old when she did it. But I would say I'll go speak to groups of women. You know, I'll say, yes, my granddaughter illustrated these books, and she, they will always think she's eight years old or something. You know, <laughs> I mean, they're very simple line drawings. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess an eight year old could have done them, but uh, but anyway, yes, Melissa. Uh, my pride and joy are we had two sons and so by the time she came along we were delighted to have a little girl oh yeah and um uh, it was it, it's been it's been wonderful yeah yeah <laughs> she is in new york city is she merciful heaven you know busily working in an advertising agency i don't know how ennobling that is for all humanity but she's having a great time. oh good uh, oh, boy just as a as a side note once again, I so very much appreciated and valued A Voice Beyond Weeping. It was just a mm. beautiful, beautiful, evocative, and inspirational work. And part of why that book really resounds like a gong in my, in my mind is because there really is incredible power in no matter what we happen to be doing, that we can shine hope into the world for another person. Mm. And absolutely to entertain the quote-unquote smallest task that we do or the smallest mm. job that we would not think of as being important and the unbelievable potency that we have in the relationships with other people. Yes. Uh, absolutely. I think, I think we, 
we probably do not live aware of that, Catherine. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we stop to think about it. Uh, we can say, oh, yeah, sure. Mm. Mm-hmm. But um, but you're, you're right. And, I, you know, I think about going to the grocery store. It costs no more to be kind to yeah. another person. You know, yeah. uh, I, and I just wonder some sometimes how we are seen when we are irritated or in a hurry or, you know, whatever we, but I think we need to be very much aware uh, that we are, we are, as you say, the savory in this world. Mm -hmm. And uh, so remember it and, and act on it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Roberta, I, I could do this for another few hours. I so enjoy these opportunities. Any opportunity to chat with you is like, uh, it's, you know, it's a yom tov. Well, well, Catherine, don't, don't be a, don't be a stranger, honey. <laughs> oh, I shall not. I promise. <laughs> you, you know where I am. <laughs> indeed. So, indeed. But Well, this has been a joy for me and let's see how it goes. If you would be at all open to maybe doing this again sometime, I would Absolutely love it. Okay, now you have to remember I'm 85. I've only said that three times during this hour. So, you know, this is actually a very cool story. In one of my past lives, I used to be a medical coder and compliance educator in, a health, in the healthcare field. Oh, yeah. And I worked at a home health and hospice facility for a while. And I came across an, in, an inspiring case study. The case study was this. The home health nurse had written a note that uh, she would be making only one visit to see this patient because during a 45-minute visit, there were several interruptions of friends and neighbors who had scheduled various meals and various support for this 83-year-old woman who had broken her leg by falling off an 18-foot ladder while she was cleaning her neighbor's (laughs) gutters. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's so funny. I worked with the nurses, and this patient became the epitome of, yeah, that's who I want to be when I grow up. You Listen, you better believe it. <laughs> well, listen, I'll, I'll throw in one other little fact. Yeah. Oh, please do. Bill and I, Bill is 87. I'm 85. Before breakfast every morning, six days a week, we take Sunday off. We go to the Y, and... Um, I, we used to be able to run, but but we now we walk. But uh, I walk a mile and a half every morning mm-hmm. for six six days a week. So there's you know there's hope for the old girl yet. Yeah, there surely is. <laughs> Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for being a friend along the journey, Roberta. And I hope to talk to you again soon. <laughs> Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for listening to Friends for the Journey where we discover meaningful support and encouragement for all those who work in service to others, including teachers, healthcare providers, clergy, mental health support, nonprofit advocates, lay leaders, and everyone whose profession seeks to be of service to others or answers a call or follows a vocation. If you like what you've heard, Please review us on iTunes so we can reach out and connect with more friends for the journey. And don't forget to subscribe so you can stay connected with us, your friends for the journey. 
Friends for the Journey is a production of Ministering to Ministers Foundation. Since 1994, Ministering to Ministers has advocated for those who have been wounded along their journey of service, seeking to provide care for mind, heart, body, and spirit. We're easy to find on the web. Just go to ministeringtoministers.org. And I will leave you with this. Along the roads of life, there are many twists and turns. Some turns in life and friendships. Some twists in work that earns. And sometimes in transition when we are tired and at wit's ends. It is good to know that for the journey, we have some trusted friends. I am your host, Catherine Gabriel-Jones, saying goodbye. Thanks for joining me along this journey. See you next time.